if you told me it was December, I'd say to you, oh God, it's a perfect, perfect December. It was like Christmas Day many years ago when I opened the curtains uh, this morning. Just be careful on the road today, though. We're looking for the Tony Flannery in a very strong statement out with the Association of Catholic Priests. We're looking at the spiking of drinks in Galway and the effect that it's having on people. And the Minister, indeed, for older people demystifies St. Brendan's and mourns about the caution of some misinformation that's doing the rounds out there. Dave O'Connell joins us and much more between now and 12 midday. Just don't go anywhere else. Comment line's open if you want to get through to us. 86 53 with thanks to Rationale Windows. Good morning, it's Thursday. If you want to get in contact with us uh, today, we'd like to hear from you and all of those numbers. Plus, don't forget, you can always just pick up the phone and the old-fashioned way of doing so and dial 0917700077 and get straight through to Siobhan here. That's 0917700077. I haven't ever gone behind the wardrobe when it comes to support for Father Tony Flannery. And I know a lot of people have been working behind the scenes uh, to try and get Father Tony Flannery back into ministry. And I've spoken before about his family indeed and his losing his sister and otherwise and finding it difficult uh, because he couldn't say Mass in public due to a sanction which was put on him by his order, who are the Redemptorist order indeed, uh, that have now left Esker uh, in County Galway. But um, the Association of Catholic Priests and Lay Catholic Group, LCG, have called for Father Tony Flannery to be restored to ministry. And it's a very strong statement that has come out from them, which I welcome, I have to say, uh, with with every word that they have on the uh, statement. Father Brendan Hoban joins me on the line today. Uh, Father Hoban, good morning to you. How are you today? Good morning, Keith. I mean, we've thanks bo- very much for having us. I know over the past, as you said in your introduction, there you've been very supportive of Father Flannery over the years, and we're now trying to kind of get that going again. He needs the support because what he did was not wrong, and he's been sanctioned by his own order, the Redemptorist. And and I've used many many channels within the Redemptorist to try and get him into ministry again by just asking why not and even before Esker closed I did an interview out there and I met some of the key people and I asked the question would it be possible for Father Tony to say one Mass just one Mass in Esker on his own if necessary and it didn't happen they didn't say no to me but it didn't happen who can make a change here who can make a difference I think the people can and I think this is what we're sort of basing this um this this effort really and it's a last ditch effort really because tony has been out for 11 years and as you say he has been suspended if you like indefinitely moved out of ministry there is no indication that this is going to end at any stage apart from kind of at the end of his life i mean it really is a life sentence and that kind of thing and the terrible thing about it really is that he has been effectively tried judged and sentenced in his absence and he's living with that verdict all the time and it's, it's very, very difficult. To answer your question, I think the people who can change this are the Irish bishops, uh, Bishop Eamon Martin, and the local bishops around the country. What we're trying to do is to get people to maybe contact their bishop, contact Eamon Martin, contact anybody they think might in any way be able to kind of get this issue on the agenda again because uh, Tony is I think 76 years of age Uh, he needs at this stage a statement and a a reality check for the by the Irish Church and by the Redemptress 
And you talked about the redemptorists there and the difficulty there is of, you know, because they're in Rome and because they're just up the, up the road, if you like, from the uh, CDF, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, they were called up and in fairness to them, pressure was put on them. They were, they were told that they had to do this. There was nothing else they could do. They were directed to do it. It seems strange that that would be the case. Yeah, but, but that, that, that's uh, by, I think that's by a previous. Sorry, Brenda, but that's by a previous administration, and Pope Benedict was in place at the time, and he he had strict rules, and it was it was punishment without telling somebody why it was punishment, and it was just done. We now have Pope Francis, who seems to have a much more open, and I'm a Catholic and a proud Catholic. He seems to have a much more openness when it comes to resolving issues, and. Why, yes. why isn't his people talking to the CDF, which are a whole new tranche of people? There were some people in the CDF before who went on, unfortunately, and got into other scandals, and they just went into the ether. Uh, but why don't the current tranche of CDF people review this and make a decision and make it a public decision? Yes, that's the $60,000 question. That's when it's very hard to understand it. I mean, Tony was, was, was stepped down when Pope Benedict was Pope 11 years ago. And then, as we know, this coming Sunday, 10 years uh, ago, uh, Pope Francis arrived. And Pope Francis changed the rules. Pope Francis started, as you say, this open church, the synodal church. Everybody was going to discuss things. We were going to have meetings and we were going to make group decisions and all the rest of it. And he has done all of that, except insofar as I can see in this particular instance. And it's a strange thing, for example, that the, the evidence against Tony, which really was he was surfacing issues that were difficult to surface and that the during Benedict's time, the, the church didn't want him to, the official church didn't want him to surface. And he was the, the kind of person who was translating, you know, uh, for instance, um, developments in scripture. He was translating them into ordinary language for people. And again, the church that Benedict had was very uncomfortable with that. And in comes Francis, changes the rules, if you like, starts the church on a process which ends up with the church actually discussing the issues that Tony was punished for discussing himself. And these issues now became, through the synodality and through all the reports from around the world that showed the same issues coming up again, the issues that Tony was talking about originally. And yet, there is a block in the system somewhere. And the effort of sort of getting the bishops on side and getting the redemptress with to, to be a bit little bit more courageous in their approach and to bring the, the force of all the people who are on Tony's side and realize the injustice, the grave injustice that has been perpetrated on him, an injustice that could have been undone, that should have been undone, and that can still be undone because it's left Tony in a terrible, terrible situation. You mentioned they are talking about being refused permission to officiate at his, at his sister's funeral and so on. So he's in this difficult situation. It's a kind of limbo, I think, in a way, and it's very, very unfair. And the, the growing perception among those who are in the SCP, for example, in the LCG, uh, Marie Morrissey and, and her committee, and the vast majority of people who remember Tony from missions all over Ireland, they're the people that we need to kind of, in some way or another, get behind this program and get behind this, this project to try and bring this to a heading. And in a sense, it's all going to end up on Pope Francis's uh, desk. And it's a pity, really, and it's, it's ironic and it's, it's tragic that, in fact, Pope Francis 
can, ha, hasn't been got to or hasn't been uh, made aware of what this is or doesn't know what to do or whatever. And we need to start a, a campaign to get that to his desk. Certainly. But if, if you and I, I, if I was to go out and walk outside Sandy Road here and thump somebody uh, be, uh, and give them a belt or otherwise, you'd end up going to court and yet the court would make a decision and it will be over within six months. And if you got a two year sentence, you'd be out in a year and a half. If I make a mistake in broadcasting, the Broadcasting Complaints Commissioner there, and they, they adjudicate on it. Where in Tony's case, nobody's adjudicating on something that he hasn't been charged with. There hasn't been a court case. There hasn't been a complaint made. It's been done under a veil of silence, and nobody's talking about it. And I did spend some time uh, last summer with Archbishop uh, Jude Thedeus, call it the former uh, papal nuncio, and we spoke about him, and it, that was a private conversation. And, but it was in a very kind of a warm way. We have a new papal nuncio coming in now, so why doesn't that papal nuncio just sit, review, go back over to these nameless people indeed in the CD, uh, CDF, faceless people in the CDF, and just sort it out? Absolutely. And I mean, it's a source of gross embarrassment to Catholics that we have a system that is so shot through with injustice and unfairness, as Tony's case demonstrates. I mean, the, 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 the actual process that he was put through was completely flawed. And it's just, it's just unacceptable that you would have that in an institution that prides itself on the truth, etc., etc., and all the different bits and pieces that we have in terms of our traditions and our way of dealing with issues and so on, that at the very heart of our church, we have this embarrassing situation where somebody like Tony Flannery, I mean, if this was in secular life and somebody had been treated in this kind of way, all the resources of a state would be brought to bear on ensuring... Uh, you know, the politicians and so on, that this person got their rights, their civil rights, their mm. basic human rights. And here we have a situation where the church is not granting them. I take your point about the papal nuncio, and hopefully this will be part of it too, that we will be able to make contact with him and that he will become aware of this campaign and that he will see to it that hopefully, hopefully, that Tony will be given some kind of justice, some kind of fairness, and that the embarrassment for the Redemptorists, for the Church in Ireland, for all the people who know Tony and have respect for the work that he has done over a whole lifetime will appreciate the terrible dilemma that he's in at the moment and the terrible situation that, that faces him. And I think this is, is something that you certainly have done your bit in terms of it, Keith, and we're hoping that we will bring on board many, many other people in terms of getting this project to a successful conclusion. It's kind of ironic that we have the novena since last Monday going on here in Galway, and he was such a part of that novena, so he was. Is it because he was such an intelligent uh, orator and priest, and he held people in the palm of his hands at any novena that he went to as part of the Redemptorist team, as they did so right around the country? Did that cheese some people off that he was so bright, so intelligent, and he had such a following that they just then decide to silence? And it's not just even him, but I'm aware of some other priests indeed uh, in a certain diocese, not too far from here, um, that have been stepped down pending an inquiry. And those inquiries are going on for flipping years. Yes. I mean, we're, we're very bad at this. We're, 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 we have to hold up our hands as a church and say we seem to be getting things very, very wrong in terms of, of our procedures and in terms of you know putting in, into practice the kind of lofty thoughts that we, we so easily kind of uh, point other institutions and other groups in the direction of. And I mean, 
envy is always a part of life, I suppose. But the reality here is that Tony, over 50 years, more than 50 years or whatever it was, well, 40, I suppose, in his case, because he's been stepped down for for 10, that he has gone around the parishes of Ireland giving, uh, in stressful situations, giving parish missions and working as part of the Redemptorist mission, which is a very proud mission and which, you know, has given yeah. great service to Ireland. But it's, it's putting a question mark in front of all of this and a question mark in front of the Redemptorists, in front of the Irish Church, and in front of the decency that people have at heart in terms of saying, if there is an issue of injustice, it should be righted, and the Church should be in the forefront of that. Well, today, let's mark uh, today, Thursday, the 9th of March, 2023, and let's put a six-month um, figure on it, and see what can be done. Keith, what took the Redemptorists so long to support for the Tony? Shame on them. Is it any wonder people do not want to join the priesthood? Tony should not come back on principle. There's a lack of priests, etc. It's the church's way of reeling in people. Women are still not respected. It's too late. I'm a Catholic, but the church has failed the people and failed me as well. It's a strong statement coming in there uh, today. Yes. And another one that has just come into us here uh, as well. And... Um, Right, this this one just came in here. Uh, good morning, Keith. Father Tony is probably one of the best priests you would find out there today. I consider myself a very religious person, but it's nothing short of a disgraceful way that he has been treated. And they wonder why the churches are empty. It's part time. The it's part time. The hierarchy. It's past time. I'd say they want to say there. It's past time the hierarchy copped on and move on with the times. Rome needs a major shake up also, and that comes from a lady called Mora. And there's just many other calls just coming in there. Uh, right, so yes, we're uh, just coming in there I now. Think, yeah, and I think that's very representative of where people are at. And not just people who would know Tony, but people who would be clued into the, the wider issue in terms of uh, looking after people kind of who are being unfairly treated. And that's at the heart of this campaign, really, you know, that it, it it's unjust, it's unfair, and something needs to be done about it. And if it's not done now, it will never be done. It really hurts me, and I couldn't be there last Friday night for a personal reason, but he, he launched his sister-in-law's book in Charlie Burns. And, he, and, and he, he texted me when it was over because we had done a bit of publicity on it. Like, it hurt me, first off, I could be there, but I just couldn't be there in two places at one time. But secondly... You could tell that there was a little bit of steam gone out of the energy that he has had for a long, long number of years. And I know him for 35, 40 years at this stage. And But you could tell this is taking its toll on him. Uh, Father Brendan Hoban, thanks for joining us uh, today. And if anybody out there can help in any way, just contact your various parish priests or otherwise. Um, I'm not trying to throw Michael Dagdon, Bishop Michael Dagdon, under the bus altogether by writing to him or indeed uh, the Archbishop in Tune. But somebody has to somebody has to come together and, and right or wrong. And I don't care whether you agree with me or not. I know the man. I'd vote for the man. I'd stand up in the snow for the man. That would make clothes off, mind you, it's too cold. But I would do anything for Tony Flannery because he has done stuff for people that you'll never know um, the people that he's helped and the people that have called me and he's helped them quietly. It'll never be known because it's confidential to him and to I. But he's a very good man and a very, very, very good man. Uh, but it just, it's, it's wrong what's happened. 9.27, now I've said it, there we go. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Click and collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you. Now, very good morning to you. Some of the comments coming in today. Now, the comments can come to 086 38 33 
with thanks to Rationale Windows. But there you can either send a message if you want to just go into your phone, put in the number, save it under Galway BFM or Galway Talks or whatever. Under Finnegan, that fella you don't like or you like or otherwise, just put whatever you want in. Uh, so you can message us on that number or you can WhatsApp us and that number Keith Pope, Pram- Pope start again Pope Francis said in Dublin that persons should not be punished to spoke um, on matters of conscience if they spoke on matters of conscience Morning Keith I've met Father Tony Flannery uh, on several occasions and he made me feel the church was real since he has been made to step down I now realise how twisted the church ruling is so much wrong has been done in the past and when someone speaks out uh, to put it right this is what happened so says Anne to the programme today and uh, Keith, as the caller said, um, Father Tony Flannery is one of the best priests you'll ever find out there today. And I really want this sorted once and for all, this caller said. And another caller said, what took them so long uh, to get involved in all of this? Mm-hmm. We will stay with it. Um, stay with it, yeah. We'll, stay with, we'll just leave it there. Now, though, um, We've been hearing uh, evidence, now anecdotal evidence until it was confirmed to us by one person yesterday of a considerable amount of drinks being spiked uh, by people in Galway. I'm joined on the line because a new survey has also highlighted the urgent need to tackle drink spiking uh, in Ireland. Owen McKeown is the CEO of Frasta, I hope I got that wrong, CYD, which is Check Your Drinks. And Owen joins me on the line. Uh, Owen, good morning to you. Good morning, Keith. Thank you. Is it, Thanks for having me. Is it Frassa? Is that how I pronounce it? P-H-R? Frassa, yeah. Frassa. Frassa. What does Frassa stand for? Yeah, just Frassa. Frassa Pharma. We're a pharmaceutical company. And again, you're asking people to um, check their drinks uh, from there. How easy is it to check your drinks? Well, this is it. Um, we need to step back a bit. You know, there's, there's. I've heard about a few of the anecdotal reports in Galway as well. And it's called drink spiking, which... For me, it's a very anodyne sort of uh, way of putting this because it, it really is an assault. And we we actually, we did an online survey with a company called Polefish, but we also have been down to um, UCG and we did a survey in UCG as well, just among the, the students. And the results are quite startling. You know, if you realise that spiker drink, which is an assault, usually leads to, you know, the minor things of maybe robbery, but then it also leads to physical assault, sexual assault, psychological assault. So it is it is of major proportions in this country. And although companies have done their best, like Drink Aware, and they've done a really good job to let people know and be aware of this, in the social settings that we Irish people like to mix in, like parties, pubs, clubs, whatever, you know, you can't be 100% um, di- diligent keeping an eye on your drink. If you were, you wouldn't be discussing anything with anybody and you wouldn't be having a good time. Yeah. So it's very difficult to to keep that 100% awareness. And, and this is what these uh, criminals are aware of. Just turn your head once and it's very easy to spike it. But do we know so, wh- why they do this spiking? Is it, I mean, for s- sexual gratification, is it to steal handbags? Is it to, is it just to, uh, is it a bit of fun? Where do they get the drugs to do so? Because we know that drugs are so controlled in this country. And what is this drug that is causing this problem? 
ketamine and GBH are the two big drugs that are used. And, you know, uh, let's be honest about this, Keith. The drugs are freely available in Ireland from cocaine, cannabis. You can get anything you want. And particularly if you're in the, the criminal the criminal mind. And this is a criminal assault, as I said before. So, you know, the, the motivation is, is a multitude. It definitely is robbery. We, we spoke to one young uh, student in Dundalk who told us that there were six old girls out together one night and they all six got spiked and they all had their phones and their money robbed. That was the robbery. But then we, you have even worse situations where people have been physically assaulted, men particularly have been physically assaulted. You also have some of the idiots who think it's great fun to spike their friends and, and see them be completely out of their mind. You also have people who go for the sexual assault as well, which is probably the worst part of it all. And we spoke to a lot of people, and, and some, some people said, since it happened to me, I haven't gone out for a year, one girl told us. Other few girls told us that they haven't had any drinks for a year because it happened to them. So um, it, it is prevalent out there. So can I give you just some of the results of some of the, the surveys that we looked at? Yeah. And, and also just let you know the age groups that we looked at. So you can see this spans a large age group. So, so the online survey, which has nothing to do with us, 19% of the people replied. Now, sometimes people reply because it relates to them. So that's probably an inflated number. But 19% yeah. of them said, yes, they had been spiked. 75% uh, of people said, are you afraid of being spiked? Yes. 58% said they knew somebody who had been spiked. And 54% said they're more afraid of being spiked now than they were before. So this is the drink awareness which is done. And on that, and, and just sorry, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but on that survey, 45% were male, 56% were female. And the youngest age group, 18 to 24, was only 18%. So over 70% of the people that replied to us were between the ages of 25 and over. So although we are targeting students, and we are as well trying to educate students, this is happening across the board of different ages. And it is an epidemic. We, we then, as I said, we went to Galway and the results we did, you know, we asked the questions to students who were actually going into classes and 14% of them had been spiked, 87% are afraid of being spiked, 84% knew someone who had been spiked. And, uh, you know, these figures are glaring and people are aware of this. I mean, the, the Garda produced a result as well, but nobody has really had a chance to do anything proactively and that's what we're trying to do. Uh, the anecdotal evidence that we had and then some more concrete evidence that we had, uh, the first one was to do uh, with a young man who had his drink spiked and he noticed where a needle had been just stuck into him, didn't feel it, was a little bit yeah. over, the, over the... Yeah, was a little drunky um, over the weekend and it was only when he saw that where the needle had gone in and that he had passed out and he had to be taken home and all... And he doesn't know what happened to him. He was blacked out. But a very sad one came away yesterday, Owen. And I've got, we've gone back, well, I haven't. But they've gone back and tried to verify it and verified it. Where, and again, it happened in Galway, allegedly. I have to say it like that. Where a young, mm -hmm. where a young girl had her drink spiked. The person in question put a note into her handbag to say, Welcome to my world. Uh, I, am, I spiked your drink and I have HIV. She subsequently went on to be tested for HIV and she tested HIV positive. Oh, no. See, like the yeah. sick mind that put the note that, in her bag. Did it? Yes. Put the note in her bag. 
And now I, I know quite a bit about HIV. I was involved in an organisation that looked after people with HIV for a long time. I know it's very simple to get it. But an infected needle like that, I, it just it beggars belief why someone would do it. Ruined just because how, how do you get into that mindset? I don't know. That's what I'm asking you. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, it, it, as I said to you at the start, these are criminals. These are not nice people. These are people that we have to be a bit more aggressive with. And it just reminds me of, of the early days of like when we had all the robberies, spatial robberies for cars and houses. And, you know, you can't identify a criminal by looking at them. You can't say that person is good. It's, so how do you know somebody's going to spike or drink or do something? All you can do is set up these alarm systems like you did with cars and houses and try to make it more difficult for these people to actually get access to us and to do this to us. And, um, you know, and very often it's, it, you can do nothing about it. You've been spiked. You become completely out of your mind. There's nothing you can do. And you're, you're dependent on your friends who may not know about what's happening. They may think you just had too much to drink or you might just wander off and they never know. So with CYD, this is, this is a, a litmus, a tiny piece of litmus paper. You, you, you get a little bit of your drink, either with your finger or a straw, put it on it, and it tells you if your drink has been spiked. So straight away, if you if you have friends around you or you have and you have a feeling that this is not, I'm not feeling well, you can detect whether it's been spiked. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be able to identify who the criminal was. But what we're trying to do is to say, if as a society, if we bring in all the people like the pubs, clubs, festivals, hotels, and, and raise the awareness, you know, have, have the awareness that we can test the drinks that are here, it will make people less likely as in robbing your car, robbing your house, less likely to do it. And this is what we're trying to say, if we can get a sort of movement, because there has to be a social movement. We are being attacked by these criminals. And as a parent myself, I would want my children to, to be protected when they go out. They want, I mean, we want people to socialise, to learn to socialise and to live together. But this is putting people off that. As I said to you, the anecdotal evidence is that people are saying, I don't want to go out anymore, I won't go to the pub, I won't go to the club. And that's not the way our life should be dictated to us. How much do these uh, litmus tests um, cost, I wonder? We have we have five in a sachet and they cost four ninety nine. So a euro per test, which is like, I don't think you'd buy a drink for less than a fiver anywhere. So I think it's quite reasonable. It reminds me of um, the beginning of COVID, that February in, in um, 2020. When the, antigen, yeah. when the antigen test came, um, yeah. and yeah. they were quite expensive at the time, but they became very cheap. But I'm, yeah. I'm begging the question at this stage, why pubs, clubs, um, societies, or otherwise, just don't distribute these free of charge for the sake of the people in question? Well, we've been in touch with politicians as well, because this is very much their bailiwick. If we're to be protected, we, it should be politicians, it should be the Eastern Health Board. And we're trying. We're a very small company, we're only set up a year, we're a small Irish company, there's only five in it, so we can't get to all. If we were a big company and had a big media spend and a big marketing spend, we probably could get the word out a lot more quickly. So we're, we're you know, we're trying our best and I really appreciate Galway Bay being so um, involved in this and, and maybe you could take it up as part of your your drive to try and improve life in Galway because actually uh, one of the feedbacks we got when we were in Galway was that several of the of the students said to us oh yeah there are two notorious pubs in town that they know of which I shan't mention of course um, where people are getting spiked so the awareness is out there 
we would like politicians to come on board. We would like to make this a proper social attack on this criminology. And it shouldn't be done. And, of course, the media has a huge role to play because if you guys start talking about this, then politicians, the Eastern Health Board, schools, colleges, student unions have to take notice. So mm. uh, I do appreciate the opportunity to talk to you this morning, Keith. But well, if, you, if, you, if you're a parent listening today, you're frightened. Yeah. Now, I don't, I don't know and don't want to know what age you are, uh, but I'm yeah. 60. But when I was a young fella, the worst thing that could happen to you was that you drink too much or you get a bad curry and you get sick. This yep. wasn't happening then. I'm not saying go back nope. to the 70s and 80s and 90s. I'm not saying go back there. But I, I go back to the perpetrators because nobody that I'm aware of has ever been charged with spiking somebody's nope. drink or, spike, or throwing a needle into them. That's a full assault. Spiking their drink yes. is a full assault. You're interfering with their property that they paid for. Yeah. But, but I, I know of parents... I know of certainly one parent who said, oh, he came home and said the drink was spiked, but all he had was, he just had too many. But the young fellow in question is adamant that his drink was spiked. And parents yeah. might just say, look, that's young people now, and she'll look at their, they're taking shots and they're drinking before they go out, and then they're only topping up when they're out. But somebody somewhere, that's including the parent, true. no, but somebody somewhere has to take this seriously. Somebody has yeah. to be caught doing this and try and get into the psyche of the ages that are doing this. And like we've had, we have a lot of waterways in Galway. We've had a lot of suicides in Galway where people enter the water, be it by accident or otherwise. Is that because their drink was spiked? That's exactly it. And, and the problem with this as well is that, you know, if, if they were to try and take some sort of criminal action, they're completely, their memory is completely gone. They have no idea. They can't report it because, you know, say, oh, you drank too much, like the, you know, the parents are saying drank too much. But they have no memory of actually what happened in the interim. You know, so it's very hard for them to say, well, this is what happened. I was spiked. Somebody took my bag or somebody took me to somewhere and beat me up or had, you know, assaulted me, whatever. They don't even know that. And and this is the issue. So unless we try and stop it in advance, unless we put out those alarm bells in advance, say, you know, we have something here that can test if our drink has been, has been spiked. And it's not the full answer. You know, it would be great if I could say to you, this will identify the criminal. It won't identify the criminal but it'll actually make society more aware of what's happening and be able to test them straight away. And if you can test your friend, you can identify if there are people around that shouldn't be around. So, you know, we have to be a bit more proactive and not just say, oh, yes, we're aware of it and these are the statistics. Those statistics have been around for quite a while yeah. and it's growing and growing and growing. And the criminal gangs will not stop unless there's something done about it. Okay, just two um, two questions, uh, sorry, two comments that are coming in. Hi, Keith, I applaud your speaker on the anti-drink spiking product. I suppose I can't emphasise enough personal safety, i.e. keeping an eye on you and your friends and your drinks uh, from there. And another caller to the programme today, and you can do so to 86 um, Morning, Keith, many years ago my in my younger days, uh, my drink was spiked and I collapsed just outside a pub in the UK. My friends called an ambulance. I later found out from the police uh, that a lot of the people who spike drinks do it to test the drug out. They'll stand back to watch how it affects the person using uh, that person as a guinea pig. Uh, then there's the darker side of these people who spike drinks uh, when they meet someone of the opposite sex or uh, same sex. Some take them home and spike their drinks to rape them. Pubs start to hand out um, drink covers um, for people as well, but that hasn't done enough either. And the, the, yeah. the comments are just coming in and in and in, so they are. 
Yeah, Keith, I was going to say that to you. If you, if you put the question out to your, to your audience and your listeners, you will get a huge response to the number of people that either have had it to them, done to them, or know somebody's had it done to them. And, you know, what we're, what we're saying today is, you know, politicians, you know, Eastern Health Board, police, let's get on board here and be active about this and not just recognise it. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with your listeners. It's It's... A very worrying situation. If my children were spiked and, and they lost their their night and couldn't tell me what happened to them, that would be, I don't know, it's, it's yeah. a very scary thought. I'm going to finish on this one and it goes as follows. My son was spiked. It was horrendous. Thank God my other sons were with him. My son wanted to head for the water. He hasn't a clue what was he was doing or where he was. It took days for the effects to wear off. Where can they get these litmus tests? I take it in pharmacies and otherwise, yeah? Yeah, pharmacies at the moment are distributing through pharmacies. So if they want to check out our website, cyd.ie, they'll, they'll find out where they can get it okay. or they can contact us. Owen McKeown, thank you for joining us uh, today on the uh, programme. A frightening subject, I have to say, on a Thursday morning. Don't forget, tomorrow morning we're coming to you live from Wildlands and we're broadcasting from outside. Well, I might be broadcasting from inside. Inside, It might be even John Morley outside. Uh, but we're coming from Wildlands tomorrow as part of our Community Matters. And we're there tomorrow from 9 o'clock onwards. I'll be bringing the waterproof gear with me, the hot water bottle, the duvet off the bed, and maybe an umbrella as well. But sure, we'll figure it out. It's going to be good fun. How do you fancy, though, heading to the Iron Islands? They're celebrating 40 years they being Iron Island Ferries, 40 years in business since 1983. There's a 90-minute cruise to Inishmore from Galway City. It recommences on the 7th of April and is an exciting way uh, for locals and tourists indeed uh, to get involved. Now we have a daily um, prize to give away, so we have. The winner can select either a ferry ticket for two from Rossaville, uh, terminal to any of the Iron Islands year-round, are a ferry ticket for two from Galway City Docks to Inishmore and the Cliffs of Moher uh, cruise. It's valid from April to September this year and all prizes are subject to availability and pre-booking is required. And uh, at the end of week, we've got an overall prize, which means uh, tomorrow on the programme, you could be upgraded, one of the five lucky people that win this week, uh, to a one-night stay in Orth Aina Bed and Breakfast, which is a family-run bed and breakfast in Inishmore, uh, beautifully appointed, spectacular sea views, and location, a very peaceful area. So you'll enjoy your 48 hours uh, in uh, Inishmore. The simple question today is, you have to tell us, what is a Kurok? What is a Kurok? Let us know now, please, to 086 38 33 55 3. That's 086 38 33 55 3. Do so straight away. What is a Kurok? No... It's not a form of putching. Please, don't put me through that. Galway Talks, in association with Tesco. Find our award-winning Irish ranges in store and online at tesco.ie. A very good morning to you. Welcome into the programme. I'm joined now by Alice McDowell and Nora uh, Corcoran. They both join me on the line. Uh, good morning to both of you. Thank you for joining us uh, today. We're looking at Mishlore, which is taking place in the Mclally Theatre. And um, Nora, can you tell me exactly what is Mishlore about? Okay, hi Keith, thanks for having me here today. Um, so Mishlore is uh, obviously the cat word for wonder, wonder. And every year we do, um, well since 2019, we've done Mishlore Festival of Nomadic Culture. So this year Mishlore is, go- is Mishlore on screen. 
So what we're doing, we're bringing travellers to the Druids um, to meet, um, you know, uh, different uh, organisations like uh, Screen Ireland, Broadcasting Authority of Ireland, Arts Council and funders just to, to introduce them to, you know, the, the, the world of media. I've also have John, um, John Connors and Michael Collins, a lot of uh, traveller um, uh, who, travellers who aren't there to come in as well. So give t- uh, travellers here in Galway, City and Counties, the opportunity to, to um, you know, see what it's like uh, and to, to, uh, to talk to the to people who are in the arts if they'd be interested yeah, because we don't have a lot of uh, travellers here in Goba City I think we've known is actually in the arts you know what I mean so this is where we're opening the doors for travellers to um, let them see what it's like and to introduce them to um, and a networking session so they might see if they'd be happy to go and find out what barriers or challenges that would be you know whether in, in the in the arts whether film or, or um, uh, uh, theatre or even the TV Absolutely. Now, starting so starting and today at nine thirty for registration. Indeed, uh, Thursday, and it um, the welcome then is at um, around ten o'clock in a few minutes' time from there. And uh, Alice, who would you like to see going along to this? Because it's claiming and creating spaces, a panel discussion, script to screen, and there's many indeed a good person that has a story to tell. Then there's opportunities. Then there's lunch at one o'clock, and then in conversation with John Connors, hosted by Catherine Joyce, and then discussion groups, and then finishing up around. Uh, four o'clock. Who would you like to go to this, Alice? Yeah, so this is a very special event. As Nora said, we run a festival every year in September, but this is a kind of um, a, a day conference we're doing uh, all around film and television, um, and it's reserved for members of the traveller community. Uh, so, yeah, we're, we're basically, it's an experiment. It's the first time we've we've done this, but we just want to get everyone in the room to to talk about the different opportunities that are out there for, the, for people to get involved in film and television, but also to, I guess, have a discussion around some of the barriers and challenges that uh, travellers might face when engaging with the industry. So it's a chance to have that discussion and also come up with some recommendations um, for the industry and in, in terms of how we can create uh, more inclusion and support more traveller storytellers in the film and television industry. And I'm sure Nora and Alice, there'll be great interest in, in John Connors. And um, again, just his story is so well known, but it might just stimulate or light a fire or a thought process for those that are in attendance. Absolutely. And I think, um, yeah, as, as Nora was saying, I mean, um, we really want to focus on nurturing that talent here in the West of Ireland. So yeah. I think by... Um, bringing John Connors and some other so well-known traveller artists and filmmakers over here to Galway to tell their story um, might just kind of spark some imaginations here in Galway and 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 the surrounding counties. I have to say the location in the Druid Lane um, Theatre there, the McLally Theatre in uh, Druid, the home of Druid as well, and that's quite inspiring as well for creating content and it's it's such a very unique space as well so and the walls are dripping with content and hopefully we'll we'll get people involved I hope so. Last year we had yes. actually, we premiered the night shift with Dr. Rosling McDonough and that was absolutely amazing. We filled the theatre with travellers. So it, she is another like inspiration. So it, hopefully we have kept people coming along and just to see that, you know, this is another avenue. I think travellers, because of so many barriers and, and, and the obviously discrimination, they feel like that might be a platform that they can't access. But this is why we want to show the, the people that actually have, you know, overcome those barriers like um, um, Michael Collins and, and, and Thomas Connors. There's other actors 
Connors there as well and, and John Connors that it will inspire traveller community to, to come along. Well listen, enjoy it and thanks for joining us. If you want to get further details um, you can go to the Galway Traveller Movement or you can just pop into the McLally Theatre um, in Galway City as well and get further details uh, from there. Thank you both for joining us Alice you, and Keith. Nora and uh, thank you both thank for joining you. us uh, today on the programme. Galway Talks in association with Tesco. Click and Collect allows you to collect your order whenever suits you.